Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. What's up? Um, I feel like we haven't done a main show in a really long time. I know. Even though I know we have. We are a little late, but I think I was late last week. Somewhat. As we said in the mini episode. We're on holiday time. We're on Hanukkah slash Christmas time. (laughs) We don't know what's happening until the end of the year. But you will get episodes. They will come out. You'll get all the episodes. It's just going to be a little more random. And then we're going to get back on our sketch. You know how it is. Yeah. Do you want to read Patreon? Uh, sure. Let me open it up. Boop, boop, boop. We have a Patreon where you can get access to all of our shows ad-free or and, and, and not, or. not or, and we have a ton of bonus content up there, shows that are not on our main feed that we do. And if I do say so myself, I think our latest after show was really good. And I have a sequel to that today. Oh, good. We should put um, titles on these two other than just the numbers. Because I do feel like they are, um, people might want to listen to them year round. Like some of them are more topical than others. Okay. I think, don't you think? Yeah. Just so people can find them in the future. Okay. Because they are really funny and I don't want to forget which ones they are. Yeah. We, we, We should put a clip together. Like the pie one. Yes. Yeah. I just think maybe of certain ones. But I think we should put a clip together for that one because it is really funny. I was th- I was thinking of some of the things <laughs> we were talking about that, afterwards. I do know the number to that one. It's after show 63. Okay. It's the most, it's rec- the most recent one. Yeah. yeah. So people who are enjoying that episode are um, Karina, Liam, Samantha, Kate, Martin, Malin, Alec, Mary, Lauren, Astrid, Smooth, Mary, Stephanie, Emma, Delaney, Jacob, Rachel, Meredith, Catherine, Heather, Tess, Madeline, Samuel, Erica, Laurel, Crystal, Samina, Timothy, Jen, Neri, Nicole, and Eleanor. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Desi. This is an episode about the Garden of Allah Hotel. Okay. I mentioned that we would revisit the going-ons at this legendary hotel, which does not exist anymore. What is it now? Do you know? It was a Chase Bank. Now it's closed. The Chase. The Chase has been closed, and I saw that Frank Geary is going to erect... Something because it's a large space, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the, I mean, it's it's shuttered, it is like, uh, yeah. Where is it located? It's 8501 Sunset, okay. So, Sunset and Havenhurst, okay, across from the chateau. 
Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So in our three-part series on stage and screen star Ala Nazimova, we spoke of her time living in her Spanish-style villa known as the Garden of Ala. The parties she threw, the weekly girls-only pool parties, and its eventual transformation into a hotel. By 1930, the hotel added an H to the end of Ala. Ala, of course, lived there in one of the bungalows until her death in 1945, but the hotel and its parties would go on for more than a decade after. Like the Chateau Marmont, the Garden of Ala had many notable guests and residents, including F. Scott Fitzgerald. Ooh. Now, Hollywood columnist Sheila Graham was his lover during this time at the hotel, and she detailed life at the hotel in the book titled Garden of Ala. Most of my, a lot of, a lot of my information came from this book from 1970, the book book Garden of Ala, but we have some stories that come later. No, not later. We have some other stories that come from old newspapers. Oh, okay. As well. She wrote, quote, in the 32 year span of its life, the garden would witness robbery, murder, (sighs) drunkenness, despair, divorce, marriage, Orgies, pranks, fights, suicides, frustration, and hope. I think she should have ended on murder. <laughs> so it should have said witness robbery and murder? Well, oh, all the other things All first. the other things and murder. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the book would have taken like a whole other tone. Yeah, like I don't think divorce lands as hard after murder. Yeah. Former resident Artie Shaw remarked on the hotel after its closing. He said... I really miss that place. Now I have to stay at the Beverly Hills Hotel. It was very relaxed there, not like the Beverly Hills Hotel or the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. At the garden, it was like having your own home. The bungalows were all around the pool, so there wasn't a mile-long walk down a hotel corridor to get to it. It was always a little shabby and run down. You'd expect the rats to come. No one was polishing the tops of palm trees. The garden was one of the few places that was so absurd that people could be themselves. Hmm. Many of the quotes about the hotel are similar to those of the quotes about the chateau in its early days. Celebrities and artists enjoyed the freedom to be themselves and the privacy that the property allowed, as well as the informality of the place. It was not stuffy like the Beverly Hills Hotel. Right. A little more bohemian. Yes. One woman who frequented the hotel was not a guest, but a sex worker known only as Doc. She would come to the hotel carrying a doctor's bag that had a vibrator in it. (laughs) And she would make her way around to the different male guests there. Okay. And do like a show? No, she'd service them with the vibrator. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. She'd give them these special massages. One time there was like a woman who was there and she's like, I've... I heard about these massages and I want one too. And the guys were like, you don't want this kind of massage. I mean, maybe she does. It's the Garden of Allah. It's not that unusual. She should have maybe got one. Employee turnover at the garden was high, but one bellboy outstayed them all. His name was Ben the Bellboy. He was the hotel's only bellboy and he saw a lot during his years at the hotel. He was there to assist during parties and fetch liquor if the guests needed it. He sent the clothes out for dry cleaning and ran errands whenever guests asked. 
He helped clean up all sorts of messes, like the time in the early 30s when Tallulah Bankhead was running naked around the pool and causing a scene. He went across the street to Schwab's pharmacy to plead with the owner for help. He's like, I need help. With Tallulah? To wrangle her. Damn. She's like naked running around the pool. I just picture him getting getting one of those pool nets that you clean the leaves out with. Yeah. Like capturing her. Yeah. During her stay at the Garden of Allah, Tallulah was said to have had affairs with Joan Crawford, Barbara Stanwyck, and Dolores Del Rio. She also fucked Tarzan himself. Actor Johnny Weissmuller was an Olympic swimmer and the actor who played Tarzan in the original film series. Nice. Tallulah and Johnny apparently fucked in the pool at the Garden of Allah. Ooh. Yeah. If men staying at the hotel wanted company, Ben the bellboy was able to bring women over to their rooms. Producer Jed Harris said, quote, you could get things from Ben that you could not get at a hotel. In exchange for his services, Ben received generous tips as well as drinks from every room that he visited. Sometimes he would go into a room and just take a whole bottle of booze for himself out of a guest room, and they, it was sort of just ex- expected. What a nice little gig he got. It was a really nice gig. He was paid very well. How long was he there? 20 years. So he went from bellboy to bellman. Yeah. Right? (laughs) (laughs) He grew up there. Uh, Hugh Williams said he always replaced it. One guest played a prank on Ben and filled up his, the bottle of whiskey that was in his room with soap, knowing that Ben would take it. Wow. And he did. Um, And he was like blowing bubbles. You know, doing that like hiccup yeah, thing they do in cartoons. Hiccups. Yeah. And a bubble came out. According to former guest Walter O'Keefe, Ben was always drunk. But people didn't really mind. They're like, yeah, it's Ben the bellboy, he's drunk. He brings us women. We don't care. <laughs> we don't care. He always got the job done and he was well liked by everyone. Unfortunately for Ben and the guests, in the late 1940s, he was let go after nearly 20 years of service. The newest owner was uptight. Why would you even buy that place if you're uptight? Do you know what I mean? It's really a shame. Yeah. And we will talk later about sort of the transformation of the hotel during that period. But that's definitely like a really good example of like sort of the direction it took. Yes. That they were like, no, we can't have this like uptight guy or this like sloppy drunk guy. Even though like he... People were happy with him. They loved his service. They loved his service. He never caused any problems. Mm. In the book Garden of Allah, Sheila Graham talks about her friend, the columnist and actor Robert Benchley, quite a bit. He lived at the hotel for some time, and he was a drunk. She commented on his irritability, which seemed to happen whether he was drunk or not. He complained to the manager one morning when he heard famous violinist Misha Elman practicing next door. He was probably hungover. He's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. If you're a world-class violinist. No one wants to hear that shit when you're hungover, even if it's beautiful. Yeah, he didn't care. Yeah. But this guy, Robert Benchley, was like no stranger to complaining. Right. Loudly about stuff. Right. And the funny thing about it is like so many of her stories about him make him just seem like such a dick, but they're always followed with, but we all loved him. <laughs> he was beloved. Yeah. 
Another morning, after becoming irritated by the sound of actor Reginald Gardner talking outside with some friends, <laughs> he had Ben the bellboy send over a note that read, Dear Mr. Reginald Gardner, I'm afraid you'll have to be a great deal more fucking quiet. Sincerely yours, Robert C. Benchley. I mean, Reginald sounds like a loud person. You think so? Like Reginald Gardner. That just sounds like someone who drones on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be kind of like annoying if... There's like, have you ever like lived in an apartment building and there's like people talking right outside your window? And they just seem a little louder than normal. And it's like, am I being sensitive right now? Or are they a little bit louder than normal speaking? You're just like, shut the hell up. And I think when you're hungover, you don't want to hear jack shit. No, you don't want anything. No, it's, it's awful. That's not to say that Benchley himself didn't make plenty of noise that irritated the other guests. Ooh, I bet. He shared a bungalow with actor Charles Butterworth. <laughs> and the two of them would be up all night drinking and giggling. Like they would be heard just giggling. I mean, Charles Butterworth sounds like he can put one away. Yeah. Like- <laughs> they were, they were, but Benchley and Butterworth were two fucking drunks. Totally. Uh, that's they, like the golden age of drunk. Yeah. And I, I think that that's what Sheila Graham, it's like, I think like back then, like raging drunk could still be kind of an appealing personality. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's like, oh, well, when he's not drinking, he's great. Whereas now we're kind of like, that behavior is not acceptable ever. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we have boundaries now. We have boundaries now. And I just think back then it's like, oh, he's just an alcoholic right. or drunk. Like, that's just who it, it's just Robert. Yeah. AA was like only a few years old. So it wasn't as prevalent. And there were whole like personas like W.C. Fields. It was like, that was his whole thing. He was drunk and mean to children. I think he lived at the garden. Oh, he did? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like if you live at a hotel back then, you're probably an alcoholic. Yeah. Like a lot of them seem like they had <laughs> like some issues. Well, it's crazy like hearing these stories. It's like, wow, did anybody work? No, they're like in a hotel drinking. They need, it's like, it's like the way you can kind of get people to care for you. Right. Because they'll clean your room at least. <laughs> they got they got Ben the bellboy. Absolutely. Going so to get you shit. He, yeah. Um, so him and Charles Butterworth like always stayed up all night drinking and talking. Actor Elliot Nugent sent them a note that read, when I hear laughter coming from Bungalow 16, I know it's coming from comedian Butterworth and literary wit Benchley, and I appreciate it very much. But my children who have never heard of you <laughs> regard you as a couple of drunks. Yeah, that's the re- that is a very good way of putting it. Some people put up with their behavior because they know who they were, right? But any normal person is just like, "What the hell is wrong with these two guys?" Games of charades were sometimes played by the famous guests. Robert fucking hated charades. Oh, I bet. But one night he played anyway, and he became enraged when he was told that he would have to act out the Dow Jones report. I would also be enraged. How do you do that? I would just make like a graph with my <laughs> finger. <laughs> I have no idea. How I, would you do it? It's I, hard. I would leave. At one point, Robert was given a bird as a gift, even though he famously hated birds. Uh, see, I'm, I'm liking this guy. <laughs> he hated birds. I mean, that's like such a specific hatred because when do you ever... That also is very drunk because he probably gets irritated by birds singing in the morning. Yes. Right? That was... <laughs> That was a big part of it. Yeah. He hated birds so much, so he trained this bird to say, fuck you. Wow. I've never heard of this guy. Have you? Before this? 
No. Yeah. But he was like a, he wrote for like, he was like a famous columnist. Right. And like, I guess also an actor. Yeah. He didn't like fellow Garden of Allah resident F. Scott Fitzgerald very much either. And despite being a drunk himself, Benchley didn't like his drinking. He's like, I don't like the way he drinks. This is a petty king. (laughs) (laughs) He, He kind of is a petty king. Though he thought that F. Scott Fitzgerald was a mean drunk. Mm. A particularly horrific story, which, 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 which Fitzgerald himself confirmed, oh. happened while him and Benchley were in France. Fitzgerald saw an old woman walking with a tray of confections for sale, and he went up to her and just kicked the tray out of her hands. Fitzgerald? F. Scott Fitzgerald did that. <gasps> That's awful. That's like the worst thing I've ever heard. That's so rude. Why would you do that? That's like, it's also the confections. All those treats <laughs> fell. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Was he drunk? No, I think he's just a dick. Yeah. But he was a drunk. Right, but also had some issues outside of that. That's just fucking rude. It was at the Garden of Allah where Sheila Graham first made eyes with F. Scott Fitzgerald. It was 1937, and she was hosting an engagement party for her upcoming marriage to the Marquess of Donegal. She was about to marry a royal. The party moved down the road to the garden where F. Scott Fitzgerald was hanging out at Robert Benchley's bungalow. So these guys still hung out together. I like how they hate each other, but they're just always hanging out together. Yeah. They're always going to be a drinking buddy. Yeah. Right? Later, they formally met at a fundraiser for the Anti-Nazi League of Hollywood, and Sheila was smitten. So she broke off her engagement to this Marquess. I mean, he was probably one of those royals who didn't really have a lot of money. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I like, I like looked up the like line of all the titles. Yeah. And so this one is higher than a duke. Okay. There's so many royals, though, who are kind of broke. Or maybe it's below a duke. It's around where I a duke like is. I feel like duke seems really high. Okay. It's above an earl. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's above an earl, and it's above a count. Okay. I mean, that I buy. It was pretty high, considering I've like never heard of a Marquess. How do you spell that? M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-S. Marquess. Marquess. So not like a marquee. That's a different thing, right? Like the marquee on a marquee building? Marquis de Sade? Marquis de Sade. Is, he a, is that a royal? <laughs> is that his first name? <laughs> I, I honestly thought it was a title. Um, let's move on. <laughs> so Sheila broke off her engagement, and she spent the next three years as, as F. Scott Fitzgerald's lover. They were together until the day he died when she found him dead of a heart attack in her living room in 1940. Damn. Yeah. I actually have a book by her, Sheila Graham. She... Because she, she was like a gossip columnist or something, right? Or like yes. a reporter? Yeah. Yeah, she was like a Hollywood reporter. Errol Flynn stayed at the Garden of Allah Ooh. on and off for nearly two decades. It was his favorite place to cheat on his wives. With teenagers? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about Errol Flynn before. He was a fucking pervert. No, he's, he's like a bad guy. Yeah, he's I think. gross. Like, yeah. He's gross. He met his first wife, Lily Demita, when they were both staying there in the 30s. 
They were married in 1935, but two years later, he began having an affair with Lupe Velez. Apparently, Lupe is the one who taught Errol about putting coke on your dick to make it last longer. (gasps) Ooh, nice. This became like a longtime signature of his. Okay. So this was like, he he, he took that from where he's like, this is my signature move now. In the 1950s, Errol was married to actress Patricia Wymore. He carried on with his affairs with other women at the Garden of Allah whenever she was out of town working. He reportedly had sex with Virginia Hill at the Garden. Oh. Bugsy's girl. Yeah. But before Bugsy, right? I don't know. Okay. That's dangerous. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. It might have been, maybe it was like right after Bugsy died. Okay. I have no idea. Another one of his affairs was with Beverly Adland, who was just 15 years old when they met. Wow. In 1959, Patricia served Errol with divorce papers. A photograph taken shortly after the papers were served shows Errol with a then 17-year-old Beverly celebrating in the pool at the garden. (laughs) Beverly wanted to marry Errol. But that would never come to pass, as he was still legally married to Patricia when he died later that year. Oh, damn. Yeah. Did he die young? I guess. Young-ish. He died in, like, 59. Okay. Anyway. But yeah, noted pervert. Yeah. Errol Flynn. We'll definitely do an episode on him. We have to. Yeah. We have to. Humphrey Bogart was living at the Garden of Allah in 1936 while filming The Petrified Forest. Ooh. At the time, he was married to his second wife, Mary Phillips. When Mary left L.A. to star in a Broadway show, he began having an affair with actress Mayo Method. Who? Her name's Mayo. Mayo? Her name is Mayo. (laughs) The pair entered into a tumultuous relationship for the next several years, getting married in 1938 and eventually getting divorced in 1945, a year after he began his affair with Lauren Bacall. Damn, he was married a lot. Yeah. Bogart and Method's fights at the garden were legendary. Method was not going to leave their marriage quietly. Furniture and bottles were thrown, and at one point she stabbed him. <gasps> Damn. But eventually she like retreated and then he got with well, he resumed his relationship with Lauren Bacall. Yeah. Another resident in Sheila's circle of friends at the garden was Dorothy Parker. She claimed Dorothy was the bitchiest resident at the hotel. Nice. She did not have many nice things to say about her in her book. She even scoffed at her multiple suicide attempts while she stayed at the Garden of Allah, doubting that she had even turned the oven on when she (sighs) stuck her head inside. That's how little she regarded of, of Dorothy, even though also she's like, but we were all friends. Yeah. She's a genius, but <laughs> I mean, I would, I'm kind of not surprised because I feel like they're sort of probably were competitive, you know? Possibly, yeah. yeah. And though others corroborated that Dorothy was a bitch, everyone still really liked her and she was part of the group. Because she's funny. She's probably a funny bitch. She was very funny. She's the type of person you probably love when you see them be mean to someone else and then they turn it on you and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Not as funny now. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly right. Sheila recalls a Christmas dinner party at Gloria Stewart's bungalow. Okay. Damn. Gloria Stewart was living there. Well, because she was like 140 when she was a Titanic. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> she was really old. Yeah. Dorothy was carrying a tray of the hors d'oeuvres that Gloria had just prepared. Okay. And there was a knock on the door and a new guest had arrived and Dorothy's carrying these hors d'oeuvres. And she says to this guest as she shoves the tray in her face, will you hold this shit for me? (laughs) Dorothy was apparently known for being nice to your face and then saying the meanest thing possible about you as soon as you left the room. She was close with Robert Benchley and after his death... (laughs) Could you imagine the two of them together Just ragging everyone at the hotel? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to be on in on it, but then I'd be afraid to leave. Well, <laughs> when he left, she did say something very mean. <laughs> <laughs> she was close with Robert Benchley, and after his death, his son wanted her to write his biography. She blew him off, telling a friend, "I refuse to see that little shit." <laughs> As for Gloria Stewart, she was a fabulous cook and often threw dinner parties at the garden. Sheila Graham included some of her dinner menus in her book. So on March 28th, 1944, this is what Gloria Stewart served her guests. Beef stew supreme. Ooh. Is that like with sour cream and tomatoes and cheese? (laughs) You get the little sour cream gun, squirt it on there. (laughs) Black olives. (laughs) Black olives and shredded lettuce. (laughs) Artichoke heart stuffed with mushrooms. Okay. Shell macaroni, all fine herbs. All fine herbs. It's A-U-S. I like using the word macaroni. It always sounds like cheap to me. Macaroni. As opposed to pasta. Like a a variety of pasta. Right. Because when I just think macaroni and cheese, like in the box. Yeah. That's what we all think. Green salad. And for dessert, black walnut sponge cake. That sounds good. I'm interested in this black walnut sponge cake. Yes, I am too. That sounds unusual. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Crimes occurred at the Garden of Allah front desk occasionally. In 1941, front desk clerk William Everest was tied up by armed robbers who stole $150 from the cash register. Fortunately, no one was harmed. But the following year, in July of 1942, the front desk clerk at the Garden was shot and killed in an attempted robbery. 50-year-old Carl Aldinger was working the desk on the night of July 19th when an armed man demanded that he give him all the money in the register. When Carl refused, the man shot him five times and fled the scene. Holy shit. The money in the register amounted to $35. Well, I'm guessing a hotel like that didn't have money in the register, like, because these people were staying long-term, right? Like, Yeah. And at, at that time, there wasn't even, like, a restaurant... There. Right. So they just probably didn't have a ton of cash on hand, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, whatever. This guy, though, the assailant was a 30 year old man named Farrington Hill. And he was captured a month later in Nevada, where he was wanted for another murder. Damn. On August 26th, a month after the Garden of Allah murder, Farrington shot and killed Frontier Club casino owner. Wade Buckwald. Damn. Co-owner. He was the co-owner of the Frontier Club. 60-year-old Buckwald was at the cashier's cage when Farrington demanded he hand over the money. Buckwald tossed him a stack of cash, but then came out from behind the cage and brandished his gun. Farrington replied by shooting Buckwald three times and fleeing the scene. Police caught up with him quickly, and after that he confessed to the murder and the garden murder, and several other crimes that he had committed, including a kidnapping in San Bernardino. He's just like, well, might as well get them all out. (laughs) He just, like, let loose. I mean, at least it makes more sense to rob a casino-type place. Than a little hotel. Yeah, right? Yeah. They're going to definitely have cash. That makes a lot more sense. He was then sent to the Las Vegas County Jail to await trial. But... Uh Uh-oh. Farrington escaped from the jail in October. The Reno Gazette Journal said that he, quote, went up a ventilator from the jail located in the basement of the Clark County Courthouse, made his way up to the roof, went down through the jury room and out a window, letting letting himself down by an electrical wire, evidently found in the building. That's so old school. Like escaping that way. I feel like that doesn't, you can't do that anymore. You can't climb through the vents anymore. And have like, oh, I'm going to just, and I'll use this uh, extension cord to scale the wall. (laughs) It's only like one story. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Farrington and a group of other inmates had attempted and failed to escape from the Las Vegas County Jail the previous night, but were caught. Damn. So he tried by himself using the same method that these other guys were going to use. He's like, I'm going to ditch these losers. I'm doing this on my own. created too much noise. And and he got away. Yeah. An investigation was subsequently launched to determine if Farrington had help from an authority in escaping. Hmm. Because they're like, how'd this guy get busted the night before 
for trying to escape, and then he does the exact same escape, but successful this time. I mean, maybe the people in charge of the jail are just dumb and like incompetent. I think they're pretty incompetent. Now, one of the investigators who was investigating to see if this was like an inside job or he had help, he wound up getting in trouble himself with the law when he was arrested after a fight in which he broke a cocktail glass over a man's head. Oh, damn. So this is pretty embarrassing for like the cop community in Vegas at this time. An APB was put out, and a blockade of all Las Las Vegas freeways was established, but no one could find Farrington Hill. A few days later, there was a report that said a man resembling Farrington Hill had taken a ride in a pickup truck that was involved in a fatal car accident, but it wasn't him, just someone who looked like him. These are the days where you could just disappear. You just move to Iowa, make a new name, and no one ever bothers to check you out. Yeah, and if you got caught, it was because you were doing something stupid. Yes, yes. It, like, it did definitely seem easier. Farrington had stolen a car belonging to a Las Vegas man named H. Knox. The car was eventually dumped and returned to the owner. While Farrington was on the lam, reports of a fatal robbery at a Kansas City cafe came in, and he was the prime suspect. <gasps> so he's continuing this crime spree. right. Farrington Hill was finally captured on the Texas-Mexico border on November 20th. Farrington said, you know what? I'm ready to go back and face the music. But was that true? (laughs) On New Year's Eve, he escaped from jail a second time. He did not want to face that music. This was the same jail he escaped from before. He's like, I got this. I know how to do it. I know these losers won't look for me. (laughs) (laughs) Farrington stole the guard's gun and locked him in his cell and bounced. Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. It's like even worse. (laughs) This is like, it's like, it's like the Pirates of the Caribbean where the dog has the keys. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, if you're a guard, like you have to quit after that, right? That's your one job is to guard. (laughs) You know, he's like snoring in his chair <laughs> with, the, with the big circle of keys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he locks this guard in his cell and he just bounces. While he was on the lam, this time he went to San Bernardino where he held up a, a cafe called the Shanghai Cafe and he made off with $45. Now, the cafe's owner, Yin Li, identified him from photographs and said that he came in and had something to eat before committing the armed robbery. This is a real crime spree. He had a meal first, yeah, though. Yeah, that's nice. Now, Yin Lee described what Farrington Hill was wearing at the time of this robbery. He said he was wearing striped overalls <laughs> and a trainman's hat. Like one of those choo-choo yeah. hats. <laughs> he looked like a conductor. <laughs> he, looked- he looked like Bobby Buckingham. <laughs> 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 A taxi driver said he picked up Farrington in San Bernardino and gave him a ride to Colton. A few days later, witnesses identified him in a pair of robberies on Hollywood Boulevard. He stole $200 from a shirt shop and $30 from a pharmacy. The cashier at the shirt shop said Farrington said, I'm sitting on top of the world as he left. (laughs) He's getting away with everything. He just robs everyone. 
He's like traveling across state lines. He's traveling all over San Bernardino and Los Angeles County. No one's caught this guy yet. And whenever he needs money, he just goes into a store and robs them and then walks on out, has a meal, <laughs> robs it. <laughs> just like whatever. He takes cash. I picture him like having the meal, paying the guy and tipping him and then robbing him. <laughs> like, well, you could give me that back. Yeah. A few days after the Hollywood Boulevard robberies, Los Angeles police spotted the car that Farrington had stolen the first time he escaped from the Las Vegas County Jail. Police entered the home where the car was parked and held a very frightened man up at gunpoint. Oh my God. The man was H. Knox, who was the owner of the car. He's like, that's my car. Oh my God. The police in Los Angeles had no idea that his car had been returned to him. After Farrington had dumped it the first time he stole it. They're like, oh, we didn't know. We knew that Farrington stole it. Yeah. They're a little behind on the progression of things. (laughs) Um, A quote from one of the officers like in the newspaper report was like, well, you're lucky we didn't shoot you. Yeah. That's because of us. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dipshits. Meanwhile, the reports of Farrington committing armed robberies continued throughout Los Angeles. Jesus. Farrington was finally captured in March of that year in Bakersfield after the stolen car he was driving got stuck in the mud. Mm. Police then allowed Farrington to go to a nearby ranch because he wanted to, like, pick up some belongings. Why? Why would they do that? (laughs) It was at this ranch where Farrington pulled a gun on the officer. Well, now, he would have, he might have gotten away, but several more officers leapt out from like some bushes and tackled him. <laughs> haystacks. <laughs> yeah, it was probably haystacks. Was, they, he thought it was a scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cop. It was a cop. <laughs> the Bakersfield Californian paper then called him, quote, the handsomest prisoner held by the sheriff here in years. Ooh. They compared him to Tyrone Powers. Damn. Is he hot? Did you see a picture? He is hot. Oh. Do you want to see a picture of him? I absolutely. He is fucking hot. I mean, Tyrone Powers pretty... Oh, damn. He's hot. That's well, crazy. Fucking bandit. Yeah. <laughs> Teach him a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> He was taken back to Los Angeles to await trial. Now, authorities in Las Vegas were like, we're done with that guy. You He's keep a him, nightmare. Keep him in L.A. We want no part in that guy's deal. Yeah. So no. they're like, all right, we'll keep him here. Yeah. It's like three strikes, we're out. <laughs> <laughs> like, we learned our lesson the second we time. We clearly can't keep this guy. <laughs> um, so he's taken back to L.A., Farrington confessed to his crimes as well as all these other crimes he committed prior to these ones. Right. He, ha- he had a very lengthy rap sheet, and he even confessed to his very first crime, which happened when he was 10 years old. He went into a five and dime and stole a tin whistle. Damn. Though Farrington's family testified to his family's history of mental illness in the hopes that the judge would show mercy... He was found guilty and sentenced to death by gas chamber. Death? Oh, I mean, I guess he did kill people. Yeah, Yeah. two people. Two people. He killed two people. So, yeah. I mean, that guy has a crazy story. Really crazy. I mean, he could have been an actor. 
That's what I'm saying is like you, this guy was hot enough to be an actor. If he just applied himself. And yes, he's committing crimes, but the vibe of that is hot. <laughs> yeah. As long he's as, kind of brazen about it. As long as he's not hurting people. Like he needs to channel that energy, not into killing people in armed robberies and into his craft. Yes. Or maybe like a stunt man or something. Cause he's like a dare. He's like a reckless daredevil type. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He just doesn't care about the consequences. What a mess. Total mess. Anyway, I thought that was like pretty wild that this guy. Also, it's like there's no information about him like banging chicks along the way. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> Leaving broken hearts every time he robbed a place. <laughs> <laughs> like how in these stories, there's always like some chick. Oh, right. Like they always have chicks on their arms right. like, who, can't, who love a bad boy. I mean, maybe he didn't mention them because he wasn't trying. Yeah, he didn't care. He didn't care. He yeah. was, He's like, if it comes, it comes. I'm not chasing any broads. I'm robbing. I'm robbing people. <laughs> He's addicted to robbing. <laughs> he seems addicted to robbing. Like yeah. That's a full-time job with the way he does it. Yeah. So the guests at the Garden of Allah, because that's what this episode's really about. Right. We're talking about the Garden of Allah. So the guests of the Garden of Allah were robbed by bandits who snuck into their rooms occasionally. Oh, damn. And took valuables. See, that seems like a more practical robbery there because they have valuable stuff in those rooms. Yeah. Don't rob the cashier. Yeah. There's nothing in there. Red Skelton was robbed after he brought home a Marine that he met. Okay. I had to look Sweet, up. what? <laughs> I had to look up Red Skelton Gay. I didn't know that. He wasn't, but he did have a Marine in his room that he picked up at a bar. So he was flexible or? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or I, they were just hanging out and being bros? She, I think they were just being bros because it okay. was like wartime. I see. And, and she, he's like, he wanted to give him, wait, it was a female Marine? Oh, mm-hmm. I thought you said she. No, the Marine. Uh, I was going to say oh. Sheila Graham. Oh. I was going to say, Sheila Graham said in her book something about people like to take Marines or servicemen for drinks. Yeah. To be like, thanks, dude. That makes sense. But bringing him back to the hotel just adds a little like, hmm. I was just curious. Yeah. I said, is there something I don't know? So he brings this Marine back and they have dinner. And Red shows the Marine his German Luger. He's like, check out this. And the Marine's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then he pointed it at Red Skelton and robbed him. Oh, damn. Yeah. So you learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. And the Marines are like, I deserve this. I just serve the country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's rich. I mean, why do you have that gun in your room? Why are you bragging about your German Luger? Seriously. In 1949, 50-year-old socialite, Alzola Garland claimed that she was beaten, robbed, and stripped of her clothing oh, no. by an intruder in her bungalow. The accused was a 41-year-old tool manufacturer from Long Beach named Anson Brown. Anson denied her claim, saying that the two had been friends for years. He asserted that he was invited to the bungalow, and when he arrived, she was passed out drunk. Well, I guess the jury believed him because he was found not guilty. Oh, damn. By the late 40s and into the 50s, the Garden of Allah was on the decline. Playwright Ruth Getz said of her stay in 1948, 
The walls were dirty, the furniture was spotty, there was a dead mouse in the pool floating upside down in the fetal position. I stayed a week and left. It was too much like the film Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) The hotel came under new ownership in the 50s. Remodeling and redecorating was done, including a new bar and restaurant. And the amount of bungalows were doubled from 25 to 50. Damn. The renovations cost nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Now, these renovations they made, they took it from like quaint Spanish style villa to like, ooh, it's the 50s. We got to modernize it. Now, did they buy more property or they made the bungalows smaller? They split them. I see. Yeah. In 1956, the Garden of Allah had a grand reopening party following the renovations. In attendance was Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. Ooh. Nancy Reagan gave her famous Hollywood blowjob to everyone there. Yeah. That's where she became the, the goat throat. Throat goat. The thro- <laughs> this is where the throat goat began. Yeah. The new Garden of Allah included a restaurant and a new bar with a happy hour, boasting 40-cent drinks at 4 o'clock. 50-cent drinks at 5 o'clock, 60-cent drinks at 6 o'clock, and so on. And so on. Besides noted pervert Errol Flynn, the clientele at the hotel just wasn't very A-list anymore. Oh. Like, the grand reopening had Ronald and Nancy Reagan, and they weren't the biggest stars of the day. No. The vibe of the garden's heyday also just couldn't be recaptured. They were trying to do, like, modernization and revamping it. Right. We're adding a bar and and restaurant. Well, it's the classic case of taking something like what made that place special was its bohemian vibe, and then it was gone, and it was just another hotel. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that was trying too hard. It sounded like it was trying way too hard. And within less than a year, the hotel went under new ownership again. And that owner abandoned the hotel the following year, selling it for $275,000. And in June of 1959, the Los Angeles Times announced that the Garden of Allah had been sold to Lytton Savings and Loan for $775,000 and would be demolished. Damn. The article said, There was a time for the Garden of Allah, it seems, and now it is out of time. But as everyone in Hollywood knows as perhaps even Nazimova's former lush treasure at Sunset and Havenhurst is aware, that's show business. Actress Patricia Medina was devastated about losing her home at the Garden of Allah. She said, Why, this is shocking, just dreadful. And also, well, it's the only way they'd get me out of the place, by pulling it down. Around a thousand guests attended the closing party of the Garden of Allah in August of 1959. Guests dressed as stars from the early days of Hollywood. Cool. The LA Times reported on a guy dressed in a baseball uniform with Who's On First written on the back. Oh. Like Abbott and Costello? Yeah. So there are all these like early days Hollywood people. There was several Bella Lugosi's as Dracula at this party. This sounds cool. People also dressed up as Clara Bow and Charlie Chaplin. And of course... Ala Nazimova. Ala's film, Salome, was projected on a wall behind the swimming pool as if she was like looking down on everybody. That, that sounds so fun, this party. Yeah. I would love to go to it. I saw the pictures from it. It looked kind of wild. There yeah. was like a girl like who fell in the pool drunk. I don't want that to be me. 
No, but she was <laughs> laughing. Yeah. But she's laughing in the picture. Yeah. Some people don't mind. Yeah. Anyway, so it gets like torn down, turned into this savings and loan. Mm. At, recently, it was a Chase Bank. And now we don't really know what's going to happen. But they must have divvied up the property more than just the bank, right? Because it seems like that hotel would have been larger than what a bank would need. The property, yeah. right? I don't know what happened to the yeah. rest of it. But they bought the lot. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I Sorry, I didn't look into that. No, it's fine. I'm just curious what else happened there. Yeah, you're right. Because it's not like a Chase Bank or whatever would need that much. But maybe it was all cramped into one smaller space. That's true. Um, I thought that this hotel went into like later years. No. Like I thought like when I, my memory from the Chateau episodes was that there were big parties there up until like the 70s or Mm-mm. something. No. Uh, yeah. That's why I was like initially like, oh, things happened after the book was written. <laughs> no. But it was completely done. It was over. Yeah. It was over by 59. That's crazy. Yeah. I want to go there. I know. I do too. I was like really sad, like looking at pictures of it and looking at um, pictures of the stars who lived there. It sounds like a place I'd want to go, like hang out or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it was really cool looking and yeah. It's like anything that takes up space in a major city just gets demolished. I know. And parceled up. And unfortunately, this wasn't preserved under like being a historic. It was like before people started like preserving shit as like a historical site. I mean, we've done a lot of stories where we go to look for the location and it's like a Taco Bell or whatever. Like, yeah, it's crazy because in Hollywood, there's just so much history here. Yeah. And it's hard to know that because things have been just demolished. Right. So it's always really special when there is a building. Yes. That is still the same. I guess it's kind of miraculous that the Chateau has survived this long. Yeah. Because why not that? And they've had so many, like, because it was preserved as a historical landmark. At some point, At some point it was, maybe in the 70s. I don't remember exactly when. So if the the Garden of Allah made it to that decade, maybe it would have been preserved. Right. But yeah, it just wasn't profitable. It never really was that much of a cash cow. That's Which the is thing. shocking to me. Yeah. Because you'd think people living there long term would make it profitable. It just, the rooms were never all filled up at once. Yeah. But why did the chateau succeed and it didn't? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's getting the right owner, I think, or someone who wants to preserve it. Yeah. Buying it. Yeah. Um, anyway. I don't know. Anyway, that is the Garden of Allah Hotel. Desi and I are going to record our after show now mm-hmm. and. You can find that on patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And we will see you soon for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.